Welcome to She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie Sutton. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from individuals, including teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. This week on She Persisted. When I sit there and I'm like, okay, but I take responsibility for the thoughts that I'm having and how I respond to them, right? And that's how we begin to show up for ourselves. And that's how we begin to make the changes because no one knows what's happening between your six inches. And even if they did, they can't do it for you. That's the thing, right? Like no one can make you healthy. No one can make you eat the right foods. No one can make you go for the walk. No one can make you seek help and and collaborate or work with the people that are actually going to get there. That is only you. And for some people, that could feel really crippling. For me, that felt very crippling in the beginning. This week's DBT skill is the check the facts skill. Many emotions and actions are set off by our thoughts and interpretations of events, but not by the actual events themselves. These emotions can also have really big effects on our thoughts about the events. Examining our thought patterns and checking the facts can help us change our emotions and emotional reactivity. So here's what you do. Start by asking yourself, what is the emotion I want to change? What is the event that prompted this emotion? What are my interpretations, thoughts, and assumptions about the event? Am I assuming a threat? What's the catastrophe? And does my emotion and or its intensity fit the actual facts of the situation? It's super helpful to write this out in a journal on a piece of paper, getting into a bunch of detail about your emotions, thought patterns, and the event itself. And a lot of the times I find that my emotional reactivity after this is a whole lot lower. So with that said, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode. Keeping this week's intro short and sweet and diving right into the episode because this conversation is just so phenomenal and anyone and everyone can relate to it and find benefit from it. This week's guest is Laura Martin. She's a certified IBS nutrition consultant, and she also is the founder of Healing to Happy, which is an online holistic gut brain focused company. And she works with tons of women suffering from IBS, anxiety, different gut issues, looking to overall improve their health. She just has the most amazing philosophy and approach of tying together your physical health and mental health. So if you guys want to follow Laura, you can follow her on Instagram at lauramartin underscore h2h. You can also head to her website healingtohappy.com or check out her Instagram at healingtohappy for her business account. And all of that will be in today's show notes. You can go ahead and connect with Laura, follow up with what she's doing and have amazing health tips in your feed and your life, all of that kind of stuff. So with that being said, let's dive into this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to dive into this conversation because I feel like it's so versatile for anyone that struggles with depression or anxiety, is experiencing mental health problems, and we all have both physical and mental health, so I feel like every single listener can relate to it, which makes it an amazing convo. So yeah, thank you for for sitting down with me. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So I want to start by hearing a little bit about you. What led you to working in nutrition and doing the work that you're doing now and a bit about your story? Yeah. So I was diagnosed with depression when I was 13. And at the same time, I was diagnosed with IBS. And at the time, had no idea the two were connected. The gut-brain connection definitely wasn't a thing at that time um, because gut health is still very new. And just my whole life was told, you need a medication or you need a diet. And so I had a really messed up relationship with my body, with food, with life around me, just thinking I was broken. 
out the mm-hmm. whole time. And so I took that out on food. And then after unexpectedly losing my mom at 22, I ended up taking out that kind of trauma on my body. So I was controlling food. I was over-exercising. It was just this whole trauma response because when the world is spinning so quickly around us, what's the one thing we control? Our plate or our body or something like that. And so one day I was sitting down and it was the worst time, like the lowest I had ever felt in my life. And I reached out to a friend and we sat at the coffee shop and she was like, and I'm like, what am I going to do? Like at this time I was living in Asia. I had, I'm like, what am I doing here? Like what am what's going on? And she was like, well, you really like nutrition, like in a really messed up way. You really like nutrition. There's a passion there. There's a fascination. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, you're like weirdly obsessed with it. Like not, (laughs) not in a healthy way. Like it was definitely an orthorexic route. Yeah. She's like, why don't you go learn that because I did the same thing in college where like I had a really I was messed like really depressed and so I went and studied psychology because I was like well I'll make peace with my enemy and she's like why not do the same thing you did with uh, you did with your brain with food and so I went back I studied nutrition and still then they weren't teaching you I I learned I don't even know how many theories about food and all the kind of ins and outs of it and they never really talked about I mean, they talked a little bit about stress. They talked a lot about the gut, but not in this kind of way. And it wasn't until finally I had my own health issues. I would try every diet there was to get rid of my IBS, to manage it, that I was like, I don't know anything else to do. I wandered into my naturopath's office and was like, what am I going to do? Like, what else is there for me to do? And she's like, have you ever thought about how your depression is linked to your IBS? And I was like, what are you talking about? I had no – even though I was studying it, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she's – and, of course, I ignored her, you know, as we do. I didn't want to look at myself. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's so much easier to look at food. I don't want to take responsibility for my emotions or my trauma. Mm -mm, Don't want to do that. And then finally, after about a year or two, I was like, okay, I've literally tried everything else. I've exhausted all my options. Let's look at this gut-brain connection. And from there, started to focus on the two together instead of separately. And that was able to not even just like relieve symptoms. Like I put everything into remission. I came up with like understanding how the whole body works. It no longer felt like a foreign entity. It was like, oh, I got this. I got me. I can understand this. And from there have helped hundreds of women around the globe do the same thing. So it's accidentally on purpose as as it would happen. I love it. I love it. And it and it all is so connected, which I think we'll get into a lot more in this episode. The first thing that I want to dive into is you talked about how your depression was impacting your physical health, specifically IBS. And I want to hear more about that. What happens to our bodies when we're struggling with depression for short or long periods of time? Because that was something that I totally wasn't aware of. I remember when I was struggling, and this is our second recording because we had major audio issues, <laughs> but I remembered how when I was in residential, when I was in the hospital, my thyroid labs kept coming back all messed up and that I was even like on medication for my thyroid for a while. And then after like a year and a half of treatment, when my mental health stabilized, it did the test again and it was like, there's nothing going on. And same thing with the blood clotting issue. Originally got tested and they were like, yeah, like there's an issue here. You're borderline having a problem with this year and a half later, they're like, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. You're totally fine. And so I want to hear from you what happens to our bodies when we're depressed, because that's something I don't think that's talked about enough. Yeah. And so, and this is why I'm going to create a course on it later this year, because it's really not that spoken about. Yeah. When we are in a fight or flight, which is what happens when we're either depressed or anxious, our body is like, we don't know what's going on. Our blood flow isn't going normally. And so we're going to deplete our other organs of our body so that we can keep our survival organs safe. 
So the way the enteric nervous system works, it runs entirely on its own. This is why we call our gut our second brain. Well, this is one of the reasons. There's two. One reason is it runs entirely on its own. We don't have to tell it to digest food, right? We don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. We don't have to tell our heart to beat, our lungs to breathe, our food to digest. These things are all in part of our enteric nervous system. When we're depressed, because our body thinks there's a saber-toothed tiger coming, there's a famine coming, there's some type of danger, right? Like just like in cave woman times back in the day, yeah. because that is what was happening. Our other organs are going to get the blood flow. That's just the way it works. And so instead of our blood going to our digestion to break down our food, to assimilate our nutrients, to give it to our other organs, like our thyroid, like our which is our internal thermostat, like the thing that keeps everything running safely, like our adrenals, like our liver, like all these other things, it's going to go to our heart. It's going to go to our muscles. It's going to go to our lungs because it thinks we need that blood flow to escape the bear that is coming. Yeah. So the things that generally shut down when we're depressed and when we're anxious are digestion and hormones. So you'll see a lot of people that are really depressed or a little, a lot, a really anxious struggling with digestive issues, either cramping, bloating, heartburn, diarrhea, all that kind of stuff, or they're struggling with horrible PMS or they don't have a period, which is what happened with me for five years. I didn't have a cycle. You're going to get like really thick periods. You're going to have trouble clotting, like you said. Like it's going to be this whole thing inside of our body yeah. is happening because our body is in survival mode. It's, it, it I remember can't... like exactly what you're describing because I had like the worst, I don't want to say like the worst because I know people will probably have had it worse than me, periods in middle school like when I was severely struggling and I've been on birth control, haven't gotten my period now probably three or four years because it was so bad. Like that was the best option um, was to go on birth control when I was 14, 15 and just continue to take the extended cycle because I would have the worst cramps. I would be nauseous. Like that was just so terrible. And so I've always been scared. I'm like, no, I'll just forever never have my period. This is a great solution. But it'd be really interesting to see now that my mental health has stabilized if my body is able to react in a more like kind of like normal manner to that because I, I totally, the timelines line up hundred percent. Yeah. And the thing with uh, like birth control, it's a fake bleed, right? Like mm -hmm. that's, it's a synthetic bleed. Yeah. And so what comes after that is generally symptoms will get worse because your body is going to have to catch up to itself, which mm -hmm. is like usually why people come off and then they're like, oh my God, this sucks. And I'm going to go back on immediately. Back on. Yeah. 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 Because, but like it sucks because, and this is any health issue. Mm -hmm. When you start to go organ to organ and you're actually doing the right thing, you're not like fasting or eliminating or doing, you're actually healing your body with nutrients and doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. The only way out is through. I'm sorry. It sucks. And your mental health that's too. just the way it works. Yeah, yeah. Like exactly. Like with your mental health, you have to sit with it. You cannot outrun mm -hmm. it. You can't do anything. You have to do There's the no right pills. Just mm -hmm. solve everything. Yeah. Mm -mm. We have to be able to control the space, the six inches between our ears. That's just the way it works, you know, yeah. and we can't out supplement, outrun, out medicate. We, we, those things are fine for the time being. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, we got to face what is causing that, you know, mm -hmm. and do the inner work and do what it is and walk through that process. So we talked kind of about how fight or flight mode is what's happening when you're struggling with both depression and anxiety. But do you say that there's that's the same symptoms for both when you're chronically struggling with anxiety or is so it different? So what I see in my world, right, when it comes to gut health, when mm -hmm. people – so the other reason why our gut is called the second brain is it is home to as many neurotransmitters as our brain. So 
90% of our serotonin, our happy hormone, housed in our gut. Dopamine, a reward hormone, 50% of that housed in our gut. GABA, neuroprodefin, things that keep us calm, housed in our gut. Now, all the Instagram world and all that kind of stuff loves to make this a catchy little tagline. It does not <laughs> correlate to your brain. The, the serotonin in your gut does not go to your brain, but it does control motility. And because of the communication going through the gut and the brain, gut-brain axis, they communicate, but they don't like the gut. It, it's not your happy hormones that go to your brain. But what mm-hmm. does impact that is your blood sugar levels, is your thyroid, is all this kind of stuff, which is impacted by the serotonin in your health, which helps to like squeeze nutrients out basically. Like it's a stress yeah. thing, if that makes sense. So what I see in my world is women that are struggling with depression, right? They have mm-hmm. low motility. So they have low neurotransmitters in their brain. That's what happens with depression. That's what it is. They also have low neurotransmitters in their gut. So they're not pushing out toxins or anything, mm-hmm. eliminating. So they're constipated right? That's what happens. And you can look in like the woo-woo world. We're like holding on to things. We're not letting things go. Like that's what depression is. We're holding mm-hmm. on to the past, right? Where anxiety is like we're future tripping and we're really anxious and we're doing all this kind of stuff. And so with anxiety is high neurotransmitters in the brain, high neurotransmitters in the gut. So we're eliminating super quickly. This is why like if you ever have to go give a speech and all of a sudden you're like, I go to the bathroom and you like run and have to go like poop and you're like, what the heck was that? Mm-hmm. Um, because this body is just anxious and it wants to eliminate. So you'll see diarrhea, you'll see cramping, you see a lot of heartburn and like indigestion and things like that because we're not assimilating the nutrients. We're just rushing to get it out. Mm-hmm. And so you see that. And then the other organs that can be assimilated that with anxiety, honestly, a lot of depression is anxiety induced depression. So it's like our body going too quick and then it doesn't catch up. Anxiety is often hits the adrenals. So hits the thyroid, hits the liver and the pancreas, like the, everything is just being stripped of nutrients. And this is where the body is going to start to show up where it's not just depression or anxiety, right? Like we're, it's never that. We also have other health issues that start to come up when it's a chronic thing. You're going to go through a spell of like, you're going to be sad one day and it's not all of a sudden you're going to have these health issues. But when it's a yeah. chronic state that it's day in and day out. And I think it's like three weeks max or three months Mm -hmm. that you have to be in it. And that's considered chronic. That's when we start to see the body being like, I need nutrients. Please help me. Like, I can't keep pumping this to your heart. Like what is going on? Cause it doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's, it's different in the way that it works like depression, anxiety, but ultimately if you're in a chronic state of anything, your body is going to start to slowly weaken. It's crazy because I have like two different things that pop into my head. The first is being that like you when you're experiencing depression, like you really do feel like you're you're deteriorating emotionally, mentally, but your body is as well, which is just crazy to think about because I think the way that we look at depression and mental health as a society right now is okay, it's in your head, it's your emotions, it's managing that, but it really is a physical thing too. You're, when you're struggling with depression, your your mind is not only struggling, but your body is too, and you're literally deteriorating the longer that you're experiencing those emotions, which I'm sure this is different for everyone, but for me when I was struggling, the emotional side of things, I was like, well, I can deal with this. Like, of course, there was tons of suicidal ideation and, and all of these, this pain that I just wanted to be over, but the emotion side of things, that was my normal, that was my baseline, I could deal with that. But it and when I cognitively think through it, being like, well, my body's suffering as well, it'd be easier for me to kind of get over that hump and be like, okay, I need to change something. Because it's not just like mind over matter in that situation. It's like there's there's a physical problem here too, and it's not going to go away overnight because I think 
that was just an easier mindset for me to sit in where it's like, this is what I'm experiencing. I've experienced before and I can do it for another three, four months, a year, however long. But then when you really, really think about how it's physically impacting you, that's almost more motivating when I think about it because you're, you can again, get out of your head. You're not stuck in these emotions that you're constantly, constantly wrapped up in. So it's, it's a really interesting thing to think about. Exactly. And, and and it's hard, right? Like when you're swimming in your swamps of sadness or it's like it's you're just there and it's like honestly you don't – and maybe you can relate to this too. Like when you're depressed, you don't do it for your mental health. But then someone mm-hmm. says that like, oh, like you're getting physically ill or like this is what's happening. You're like, okay, I'll make a green smoothie or like I'll have <laughs> something. Like yeah. it's not even a green smoothie. I think it was like I will just eat something right? Like it's not even nothing of major thing, but it's paying a little bit more attention because when it came to like my brain, for some reason, that wasn't important, but my physical body, that I was a little bit more intrigued by. And then as I started to take care of my physical body, my brain started to get better. And I was like, isn't that interesting? Like that's, Mm -hmm. it didn't start for my own brain. It was just, oh, my body is starting to actually not like this. (laughs) Like it was like the vanity metric of it, which Whatever it is, it just gets the ball rolling, you know. Mm -hmm. This week's episode is brought to you by Saqqara. You guys know how much I'm stressing the importance of good sleep, good nutrition, getting outside, staying active, because when we don't take care of our physical health, our mental health truly suffers as well. I know that my emotional vulnerability is off the charts when I'm not taking care of my physical health. I can't be productive. My relationships struggle and everything just becomes a mess. Saqqara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. Their organic ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients and they're designed to boost your energy, improve digestion, and get your skin glowing. Their meals are delivered all around the U.S., ready to eat, at your door, and you are good to go. They also have some amazing wellness essentials, like one of my favorites, their sleep tea, which you know I love a good cup of tea before bed to keep my sleep hygiene in check. They also have things like beauty chocolates, like chocolate that you eat to help your skin, like literally mind blown. So many different supplements, teas, powders, granola, all of that kind of stuff. To get your hands on their amazing products, you can go to Saqqara.com and use code XOSADIE at checkout for 20% off. Again, that's Saqqara.com. Use code XOSADIE at checkout for 20% off your first order. I've been toying around with this idea, which I know is totally not clinically accurate, but the the concept that depression in a way is just a huge, huge lack of self-compassion and self-care. And I know that it's so much more complex than that and the behaviors that come with it and the emotions are, again, so much, there's so much more nuance, but I think that's a way that I can really shift my actions and then help my mental health is being like, there's so much compassion lacking here that I don't want to get better. I don't feel like I deserve to get better. I don't feel like that's possible for me as a person. Like what on earth, why would we think that about ourselves? Like you would never say that to someone else that, oh, you're not deserving of getting better. You're not deserving of being happy. But for ourselves, that's that's really easy. And I think with with the physical side of mental health struggles, you can really from an emotional perspective, just get in your head and be like, well, I deserve this. This is okay. Like this, I've done this to myself because again, it's kind of how we're viewing it as a society. That's how we see we see our mental health is that it's it's caused by us and it's emotions. We need to manage them. We need to fix them. We need to solve them. And so if, if you can cultivate that self-compassion, which is sometimes easier to do around your physical health, and then and then see the change in your mental health as well. I think that's a really, really powerful school of thought and way to kind of initiate that change. 
I love that. And that's so the post I had today on Instagram, one of my mentors yesterday said, I treat myself in the way of someone that I love, right? Because we often mm-hmm. don't do that because when we're physically in pain, right? Like for me, yeah. when my gut was like inflamed or like it felt like there was a fire inside of me or mm-hmm. like when my hair was falling out or like my period, I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and then yeah. if that was my little sister, like, and then in my head, yeah. I'm like, it's fine. Tough it out. Do this. Be more strict. Do this kind of stuff. Like it's your fault. But if it's my little sister, holy pickles, I would have her on the first class flight out to going to find the best person to fix yeah. that for her. Being like, like emergency room do you right need? now. Do you need, do you need all the organic food? Here's all the organic food. Here's the way we're eating. We're preparing all our foods. Like I would be in it for her. But because it was me, it was like, nah, tough it out. Like, who cares? Like, just fast longer and it's fine. And it's like, why would you do that? And so now it's like a constant mission being like, asking myself, like, in the highest vibration, and if I loved myself, how would I respond to this? Because mm-hmm. I'm not for this whole like self-love woo-woo kind of – I'm very woo-woo, but like <laughs> that whole thing of like I'm just going to love it. I'm, I'm more for like that neutrality. Like I'm not going to love myself every day. I'm not going to freaking lie about that, right? Like I'm going to yeah. – I'm not about that. But I do like myself enough, right? Like or mm-hmm. actually have that backwards. I love myself. I don't like myself every day. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the difference, right? Like I love myself every day, but like I don't necessarily wake up liking everything about it. So if I act in the vibration of, oh, I love myself today, how am I going to act? Oh, okay, I'm going to eat something that actually will nourish my body. I'm going to go for a walk even if I don't feel like going to the gym. I'm going to do these micromanagement steps. And as a result, yeah. our brain catches up. There's science behind it, right? Like, you know, inflammatory markers, things like that. Our whole our neural pathways start to open up. There's actual science behind it. But like from just a central standpoint, it does feel good because you're keeping yourself accountable for something. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you're like, okay, that's good. I can do that. And you just keep going. It's it's so crazy to me. Like there's the whole nature versus nurture um, debate. And I'm sure everyone is familiar with that. And it's a like you're saying, talking about a lack of like self-like or self-love or self-compassion or confidence, whatever it is, that's a very shared and common experience. And I do not believe that we're born with that. Like at some point where we're experiencing messaging, we're experiencing some interaction that causes us to all, not all, but many of us to experience those emotions and experience those belief systems. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what the answer is, but it's 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 crazy to me. And just like you're saying, if it's your younger sister, if it's someone you love, you're like, oh my gosh, I would like never, ever, ever want that to happen to them. Like why on earth would what's going on in their life to make them feel that way and think that way and experience life through that lens. And it's the craziest, craziest thing. And, and we're also doing it to ourselves. Like we're continuing this messaging. It's not like I'm going up to people and speaking them to them the way that I would have an inner monologue. Like that would be so rude, but I don't, I don't know what it is. Why we, why we speak that way to ourselves, why we think that why why we hold ourselves to these expectations. And I don't think it's something we're innately born with or created with or that we inherit. It's, it's really, really strange. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing when we start to take radical responsibility for our life, things change, right? When we stop sitting there and like, the things that are going to go on between the six inches between your ears is going to be bananas the rest of your life, right? Mm-hmm. Especially, sorry, sorry to burst anyone's bubbles. It is <laughs> like, but the power is, that we hold is when we sit there and we're able to identify the thought is not our own, 
right? When we're able mm-hmm. to sit there and be like, hey, yeah, that one wasn't mine. Like I, my highest integrity, I wouldn't say that. But like I can't out-process that thought. It's not like it's I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to be like, you're a champion and like sing that every day. That's not going to happen. <laughs> but when I sit there and I'm like, okay, but I take responsibility for the thoughts that I'm having and how I respond to them. Right. And that's how we begin to show up for ourselves. And that's how we begin to make the changes because no one knows what's happening between your six inches. And even if they did, they can't do it for you. That's the thing, right? Like no one can make you healthy. No one can make you eat the right foods. No one can make you go for the walk. No one can make you seek help and and collaborate or work with the people that are actually going to get there. That is only you. And for some people that could feel really crippling. For me, that felt very crippling in the beginning. I was stuck in that like victim mentality where I was like, no, like I'm not doing that. I'm alone in this. And soon after that, when I was like, oh, wait, like nature versus nurture, right? Like I can surround myself with the right people to carry that vibration with me, to hire the best people, to surround myself in it, to listen to the podcast, to watch the YouTubes, to do all that kind of stuff, to bring up that vibration so that I can change my surroundings. Like it's still, Mm -hmm. my brain is still going to work the way that it does, but the way I respond to it is going to be entirely different than how I was raised. Yeah. It's, it's, I really love what you said about radical responsibility because we're so often tasked with taking responsibility and solving problems that we haven't necessarily created for ourselves. And that's one of the most terrible experiences. I remember when I was struggling, the only thing I wanted to do was blame it on my parents. I was like, well, you raised me like this is your fault. What did you do wrong? What happened on during this the last 15 years? And no matter what they did, even if it was their fault, which it definitely wasn't, like they never would have been able to solve or help me recover or take on the burden of healing. Like it doesn't matter. Like they could care so much and they could love me so much and they could want more than anything for me to get better. But they, you are the only person that can do that healing process for yourself. And sometimes that really sucks. It's one of the most terrible things to realize. And that doesn't mean you're alone because you shift from having wishing that other people were there to solve your problems to realizing that you can have a lot of people in your corner and you can have so many people rooting for you and using their their vast amounts of knowledge about mental health or whatever it is that you're healing from to support you on your journey and give you tips and tricks and advice and and emotional support and all of these things and I feel like when they when they shift to that role of being in your corner rather than solving your problems. It's it's so much more helpful to you, which doesn't necessarily make sense when you haven't gone through that, but it's it's totally true. Oh my god, yeah. Well, it's enabling, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. So like so my mom was an addict, right? And so it would be like one of those things where it's like you can sit there and you can enable someone. Or you mm-hmm. could sit there and be like, you either rise or you fall. Like this is how that works. And and to be in that situation, it's it's a lot more difficult, but like, that's Mm -hmm. the same thing with our mental health. We have to be able to sit and go, okay, no one can come in here. And sometimes like people aren't going to be there, right? Like with my rise, I was in the middle of Asia. I knew no one, like there Mm -hmm. wasn't, you have to be able to pick yourself up, know that you're strong. It's going to suck right? Like, and, and hopefully we do have these people around us and we have these systems and, but the best feeling in the world is when you rise for yourself and it's not a circumstantial rise. Right? And that's like what makes not, it last. If you yes. do it for anyone else, it's going to be short term. Exactly. Like for me with my mental health, like when I was in the pits of it, I literally decided to stay on this earth because of my brother, right? Because I couldn't think past myself, but I was like, 
who the heck is going to call my older brother? Mm-hmm. Right. But then in those moments, it was like, that helped me rise, but I got out of it for me. Right. It was like, yeah. because we're so warped and like, we don't think we're worthy yet, but we believe there's something else. So we hold on to this feeling of our family, of a friend, of work, of whatever it is that you're holding to, that then we're able to rise. And then after that, we're able to see our own self-worth and we start to sit there and it's not circumstantial because there's going to be a point in time when, when things don't work out. And if our happiness and our control and our all of this stuff is situated on the perfect moment with the purple perfect surrounding and our cheerleaders on the side and all that, like, that's great for them. But we have to be able to stand when things shake and know that we have our unwavering support of our own journey because we created the resources around ourselves to learn what that means. And that's where the radical responsibility comes into play. Yeah. And it's still stuck. It sucks all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Responsibility is one of the worst experiences. Like I remember I got a terrible grade in my math class and I, in the back of my head the whole semester, I was like, I'm doing this to myself. Like no one else can do anything else here. And you just have that, that feeling and that realization that you've done this to yourself and you have to face all of the consequences 100% and there's no one else to blame. And that really, really does suck. And it's it's so empowering in the future because on the other side of things, when you reach a goal that you've had or you, you see your growth, you have no one to give credit to except for yourself. You are 100% accountable for all of that, that progress and that growth. And so it's not easy. It's not easy to take that responsibility. It's probably one of the most uncomfortable and and scary things to do because you're the one that takes the fall for all of that kind of stuff but but it's very worth it and you get to be the one that that feels the joy and the pride and all those positive emotions when you're on the other side of it 100 and that's the way it works as you figure out whatever your outlet is that will help you get one step higher in your vibration right whether it's Mm -hmm. studying more for a test or taking control of your health or whatever that outlet is it's like okay like i saw where i shook a little bit there what's the one step forward i can take so i can rise up from there and keep taking those steps and soon you're there and you're like oh i'm here Mm -hmm. like it's bananas It's crazy. So taking radical responsibility over your physical health, whether you're motivated because of where your mental health is at or because you're you're not physically feeling your best, whatever it is, what are your basic tips and tricks that can help individuals create a more balanced, healthy lifestyle, kind of counteracting these symptoms that we talked about when you're experiencing long-term depression, anxiety, and all these things? Yeah. So the first one when it comes to my clients that struggle with anxiety and depression is first figure out your foundations. So what is your nutrition routine, right? Like before we start to tweak anything, like what is it like? When do we breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks? How is that routine? Is it consistent day to day? What does that look like over a week's time? And then from there, you can start to make minor tweaks. Like what do you not feel good about? right? Like where do you look at it? And you're like, eh, that's not my hottest moment. Like those, <laughs> that pint of ice cream at night. Yeah. That ain't, that ain't my jam. Or like mm-hmm. skipping my meals like for hours on it. Not my jam. And making tweaks with my clients. I start with breakfast. So this whole fasting thing, it's just another term for an eating disorder really. And so when I we're already- I, I see so many people on social media that are talking about the benefits of fasting, even doctors. And I'm like, are you kidding? Yeah. No, the thing about fasting is it does have medical backing, but the, the studies that are done on are done on postmenopausal women, men, and rats. 
of which we are neither here. So yeah, thank you. Exactly. And, and it is beneficial because it does wipe things out and clean things out. But what is way more beneficial with people that are struggling already, right? Like they're speaking to people that are already healthy, which is like maybe 2% of the world. Like, I don't know who they're talking to. And I'm like, who has a normal relationship with food? I would yeah. love to meet them. I don't know them. Mm-hmm. Um, babies. Right? Like, I'm like, who is that? Um <laughs> So what I work my clients through is focusing on a protein-rich, carb, healthy fat, fiber breakfast. That could be an omelet. Mm -hmm. I personally, I just like smoothies. Easy. Starting with that because that will balance our blood sugar from the start of the day. So what happens with anxiety, depression is it's a blood, usually a blood sugar problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like we dip really low, depression. We go really high. We're like, we have anxiety. We're freaking out. Mm -hmm. So we want to figure out how to stabilize that. And that comes from a nutrition routine that helps to balance that. So we focus on metabolic restoration, which is like what my gut recharge program is all about. And so we start with breakfast. And then from there, we're eating every three to four hours. And we're staying consistent with those times throughout the day. And I know this sounds like work, but think back to when you were a kid. You woke up, you had breakfast, you went to school, you had lunch, you had snack, you came back, you had dinner, you had snack. It was consistent. We never questioned it. And even on summertime, your body was in a routine. It was unwavering. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be work getting back to it because we're not used to it. We don't have that same rhythm yet with our body. But just figuring that out and keeping it because it's one less stress that our body has to maintain. Because everything else is a stressor lights, camera, action, everything's a stress, right? And so Mm -hmm. the sooner we can eliminate it, it, the better it is. And that's my first step is just focusing on what is your nutrition routine? How can you get that to a consistent routine, starting with breakfast and every three to four hours? And then the other things like everyone knows, drink more water, go for walks. Like people know that kind of stuff. So I Mm -hmm. like to sprinkle different ends where it's like, just eat every three to four hours and keep that consistent. And then you know Mm -hmm. the basic, we all know the basics, drink water, go for a walk, eat some vegetables, hug someone you love. Like those are basic Mm -hmm. things that we need to be getting more of as well. Something that I've noticed recently I do, which I like wasn't really realizing was problematic was I was being very, very ambitious with the goals I was setting for myself. I would sit down and I would plan out my calendar and I'd be like, I'm going to edit an entire podcast. I'm going to send out 40 pitch emails and I'm also going to clean my entire room and put my laundry away and eat dinner like all within a three hour period and so I was talking to my therapist about it and she was like this is like really common with people with anxiety and I was like wait other people have this problem and for some reason in my brain like even from a health perspective too I'm like I can go on a six mile walk together easy no problem and then I immediately go to avoid it and do less than like a very small goal than I would have set for myself and it's a really it's it's a very ineffective pattern to get into but it it is it's helpful to be observant of and notice and then really scale back on the ask and be like, I'm going to set this small goal for myself and meet this and then we'll go from there. But I I wanted to flag that because that's something that totally recently, whenever I'm setting these kinds of goals for myself, ever for myself, multiple of me, <laughs> for myself happens and pops up and it just, I totally go into that avoidance and, and not thinking about it and wanting to block it out because it becomes uncomfortable and I don't want to do it because I've set these crazy goals. Exactly. That's So I use my sticky notes here. This mm-hmm. is like the main thing. So anything that I can keep on a sticky note, that's going to be my schedule for the day. Because otherwise, if it is going like my if I put it on my board, like in my mm-hmm. office, it will 
it'll be like 14 things we need to do in a day. And yeah. I'm like, Laura, what are you doing? And especially now problem. that I learn about like human design and I'm a projector and I'm only supposed to be working four hours a day. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, how's that going to get done? Like, that's, yeah. And then by the end of it, you're sitting there and you're like, I'm a failure. I didn't mm-hmm. do it. And then like, you're struggling to stay awake and you're like, I'm going to crush it. And you're working for 14 hours. And it's like, that's not good for anyone. Like, what are you doing yeah. here? And so the sitting, like on a, Plus, like, habit building, if you don't have habits already, it's going to be harder to build them. So, like, when my clients – when I'm working with my clients, I'm building habits. If they don't have Mm -hmm. a baseline yet, we pick one thing, like making a bed. Literally, Mm -hmm. that is what we start. And we do that because it takes 63 days to make a habit. Not 21. It's 63. And so once you build one stable habit that becomes a non-negotiable then it's easier and faster. Your synopsis fire a lot quicker that you can start building mm-hmm. habits on top of it. That's why you see like high-functioning people, like high, whatever, entrepreneur, all that kind of people, they can pick up habits very quickly because they already have that baseline. Oh, so <laughs> so <it's>, frustrating. <laughs> they already have that baseline. So once you get the baseline, it becomes easier and easier. But like coming to, I mean, we're at the middle of the year now, right? So we're checking mm-hmm. in with where are we at. Don't come into this thinking we're going to run a marathon. Like be like, I'm just going to make my bed. I'm going to eat more vegetables. I'm going to eat every three to four hours. Like pick something small and then from there move forward. Like set yourself up to be your biggest Mm -hmm. cheerleader, not your biggest critic, right? Like that's that's what we move forward. Yeah. So is your advice to do one habit for 63 days and then add something or is it like you start for a couple days – what, oh, no, I do it for a full 63 days where it's like, just okay. make it about 63 days. I'm not like people, when we first start working together, they're like ready. They're like, oh, I just, mm-hmm. I invested all this. Like I'm going and I'm like, go make your bed. They're like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, like, so this is going to be a 10 year progress. <laughs> yeah. They're like, and then by, like within three weeks, they're like, holy pickles. Those were like adding in mm-hmm. micro things, but it's not really habits. Your brain is just so, when you're in a learning state, your brain is way more susceptible. So say when you're traveling or something, your brain can actually take in new habits a lot quicker then because your receptors yeah. are – you're in a new environment, so it's easier to learn something new. So same thing when you're starting a new program. It's just like these different environments that we level ourselves into, mm-hmm. we're able to actually take in and re- retain more information, which is actually – like the human brain is absolutely fascinating when we sit down it's and crazy. look at it. We don't have to fear it. We're like, oh, I get you. I get how you work. Like, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally noticed what you're talking about, about not being in, like, a learning mindset or a learning process, especially with COVID. I noticed, like, I was in junior and senior year when COVID happened, and then I, like, school kind of took a, not, I wouldn't say, like, a back seat, but, like, second semester of junior year, we didn't have classes. You just did some assignments, and then senior year, it was almost all Zoom. And so I really have gotten out of that process of of being in that learning mindset and picking up new habits. And I used to have a crazy schedule. And now it's like, I'm what's like, like, what's a goal that I'm working on recently? I'm trying to think I'm like, I'm going to go on a walk every day. And that's so hard for me to do because I have no habits that I'm maintaining. I'm out of this, this process of continuing to, to learn and grow every single day. And I totally miss that. I totally notice what you're talking about. And it's definitely, I think something that a lot of teenagers are struggling with. Mm -hmm. It is. It's, I mean, again, it comes back to the radical responsibility, right? Like when we, at that age, right? Like we, that's when we start to learn how to parent ourselves a Mm -hmm. little bit, right? Like that's the stepping stones. And then we get to college and then we get to these arenas of our life where it's like, oh my goodness, like 
you all of a sudden like hear your mother's voice in your head and you're like, oh my goodness. And it's like all these things. And it really is, it's a learning opportunity because in each step and in each movement that we're making, we're learning how do we parent ourselves? How do we move forward? How do we get through these processes to, we all have that blueprint of the person we want to be, right? Like, how do I get there? In the, in the cleanest, squeaky clean, best energy kind of vibe, how do I get there to hold myself accountable? And it's like, whew, I have to take responsibility. I, I got to do one small thing today that will get me there. It doesn't have to be, you know, writing a novel and running a marathon, but it does have yeah. to be like going and doing something that's probably going to feel a little bit uncomfortable at first so that mm-hmm. for the betterment of the future, you know. Mm-hmm. So we touched on a couple different like reading and podcasts and TV shows and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to dive into that and hear your recommendations for like your top three things that you're consuming recently content wise that you're really enjoying, whether it's a book, podcast, show, movie, anything like that. So I actually don't watch TV because I was raised in a household where we only allowed an hour of technology. So I've just never gotten into it I feel Um, like that's the so I was like very similar growing up we didn't have a tv when I was little and so this past week I also was doing no tv because I was like I am watching so much love island and this is so (laughs) bad I feel like I've gone in the opposite direction it's not even it's not even a thing though like me with my boyfriend like he'll be like oh hey let's watch a movie and I'm so gung-ho because I'm like great let's turn off my Mm -hmm. brain but then I sit there and I'm like I'm bored. bored. Like I don't yeah yeah, I'm like I'm just not this isn't my simulation so Mm -hmm. books that I'm reading I love Eating in the Moonlight. I just finished that one. For anyone that's struggling with an eating disorder, highly recommended. It is all about mm-hmm. folk tales in a way of, I mean, the best we've been learning through storytelling hundreds of thousands Forever. of years yeah. Yeah, since, since the world was walked. And so she talks about eating disorder through folk tales, and it's just this beautiful way that, you know, no science book that I've read has touched like that. I just finished reading – Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights, so good, mm-hmm. so unexpectedly good. I did, I wasn't expecting that. What else do I love? What else do I got? Oh, Think and Eat Yourself Smart. Okay. And so that has to do with just different foods that we eat to balance our brain and do that kind of stuff. And then I haven't been listening to as many podcasts because I am deep into self development right now with mm-hmm. my mentor. <laughs> so you know, busy, like busy, many outlets. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny because I don't listen to a crazy amount of podcasts. I feel like that's something that would be expected, which is that I'm constantly listening to podcasts. And I've met a lot of other hosts that are that way. They'll post on their stories and be like, listen to 12 podcasts this week. And I'm like, if I listen to one podcast, that's like a good week for me. And sometimes I like to tell myself, I'm like, okay, this is good because I have the blinders on. I'm not getting influenced by other people's creativeness or production and I can kind of have my own voice my own narrative but it's it's funny for sure so I'm totally with you on the minimal podcast thing even though it's a little bit ironic but yeah like when I first started out it was like that was me I was like 12 podcasts a day and doing this stuff and I'm like you're not really even taking anything in at that point like you're just yeah you're just Mm -hmm. listening like it's literally like you're watching tv like Mm -hmm. you're not taking it in I'm like I like to sit I like to write my notes I pull up a bubble bath I'm like absorbing Mm -hmm. the whole thing and sitting in my bathtub and taking these notes I'm like it's a luxury experience when it happens I love (laughs) it I love it it's it's amazing well Thank you so, so much for joining me for today's episode. I literally think anyone and everyone can relate to it. Everyone has to take radical responsibility. They don't have to, but at some point in your life, it's most it's it's likely that you'll you'll navigate that. Everyone experiences challenges mental, mentally and physically. And so I just think anyone and everyone can relate to it. So thank you. 
Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, anyone that's struggling or anything like that, it's not that we, you know, we don't have to do anything. But when we want to see change, we have to be the change because no one else is going to control the six inches. And we got to start mm-hmm. one foot, the simplest things. And so yeah. sending everyone love. <laughs>